Welcome, everyone. I'd like to say welcome to the Earlham Church of Christ. I would also like to say welcome to the Countryside Christian Church and anyone that might be viewing this online at a later date or at some other time. We just want to say welcome. Glad you're here. I hope you've had the opportunity to uh, get access to the outline that has been provided for this message. And uh, maybe you can uh, open that up and follow along and fill in the blanks. Also, there are going to be many scripture references that are in that outline. And today, in light of the fact that uh, many of us are kind of locked down and uh, because of COVID-19, we're not going out to watch a movie later today. We're not having anybody over for dinner or going out to dinner later today. It'd be a great opportunity as I make reference to these different Bible passages uh, later today, just spend some time uh, by yourself with your Bible or with your family. Uh, open it up and uh, read through uh, as I'm going to sort of fly over some biblical stories in a rather rapid fashion. The title of the sermon today is uh, An Unfamiliar Place. An Unfamiliar Place. So uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a professional baseball game, and maybe you've had the opportunity to do something like this as well. I, I think I might have seen it before at a halftime at a basketball game as well. But during the seventh inning stretch, uh, the uh, folks that are kind of in charge of creating a fun atmosphere, they go up into the, uh, the crowd and they grab a couple of contestants and they bring them down to play a game during the seventh inning stretch. And they took them, they took these, uh, this uh, couple and they put them out on the uh, third base and uh, they were going to have them race from third base to home plate. And the first person to get there was going to get a prize. Uh, so they took them out to third base and then they had them do, and you've, maybe you've seen this before. <clears throat> they had the, they had a baseball bat that was with them. They had them bend over and put their forehead on the baseball bat. And then they had to spin around the baseball bat about 10 times uh, before uh, they could then sprint from third base to home plate. 
and uh, maybe you've seen this, you know what happens. Uh, they say one, two, three, go. They drop down. They spin, 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 spin. And then the guy takes off and starts to run towards home. And immediately his whole body just begins to, uh, to tip and turn. And he goes over and uh, he goes off to the right and just face plants in the, in the grass. Meanwhile, this guy's wife, she decides she's going to spin the other way around. She goes round and round and round and she starts to run and her whole body begins to tip and they, and she face plants right in the infield and everybody in, in the place is just laughing hysterically. It's, it's awesome. It's fun to watch. It's very funny, but I can't help but think that as these people, they know where they want to go and they're trying so desperately to get there and they're over here laying down in the ground and maybe they were thinking to themselves, how in the world did we get here? How did we end up here? Right? Isn't that what you might be thinking? You're trying so hard to get there and how did you end up here? Well, I had this sort of a similar kind of experience uh, just last Sunday. Uh, my wife and I are house shopping. My wife uh, sends me uh, an email. She says, Steve, go look at this house. So I pull up the house on Google Maps. I know where I am. I look at Google Maps. I know exactly where the house is. And so I know how to get there. And so without using any GPS or anything, I jump in the car and I drive over, pull right into the driveway. I'm looking at the house. Can't get into the house, but I'm looking at the house. Well, sure enough, the uh, next day uh, we get a hold of a realtor so that we can go into the house. And uh, my wife and I meet a realtor and uh, he says, okay, I'll take you to that house. Why don't you guys just follow me over there? And I'm thinking, sure, I'll follow him. I know exactly where it's at. And, uh, and we'll follow this guy over there. He'll take us right to the house. We get to go in and look at the house that we want to look at. And so we get behind him and we're going down the road. And I'm like, yep, yep, okay, we're doing just fine. Yep, yep. All of a sudden he throws his turn signal on and he makes a turn. I look at my wife and say, this guy, we're going the wrong way. I know exactly where the house is. And this guy, we're going the wrong way, Karen. I, you know, who, where do we, where do we get this realtor? What's, what's going on here? He, he supposedly lives in the area. We don't live in the area. And he's supposed to know where it's at. And I don't know where it's at. And we're following him and I'm getting a little bit more disturbed. Karen, I was just here. I just went down this road yesterday. This guy's going the wrong way. And then all of a sudden, as I'm following him, the guy turns on his turn signal and starts to make a turn. And I'm telling you, it was a dizzying experience inside my brain. As the road that I am driving on, it was as if it lifted up off of the earth and turned 180 degrees in my brain and sat back down. And I was going, wait, what? How did we end up here? I thought I knew exactly where I was going. The guy turns on his turn signal and I was totally turned around and I had no idea how we even got where we were. Well, maybe you can relate to feeling a little bit that way. Maybe even now, maybe uh, you're at home and you're kind of looking around at the world going, how did, how did we end up here? What, what's going on? How did we end up here? Well, I want you to know that there are several people in the Bible that very easily could have been asking that question. How did we end up here? It might have even been a sort of a dizzying effect for them. How, how do we end up here? And I, I'd like to share some of those stories. In the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis chapter 37. Uh, so the book of Genesis, we learn God creates the heavens and the earth, puts mankind on there. We, we see the fall of man from the Garden of Eden. And then uh, later on, we learn that God, he desperately wants to have a relationship with mankind. So he, he goes to Abraham and he says, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I want to establish you as a people, as a nation, and uh, you're going to be my chosen people. And I, I, I want us to have a, this close uh, friendship. 
And then uh, we know that that sort of progresses and Abraham has a family and uh, there's Isaac and there's Jacob and, and Jacob has a lot of sons. And, and, and Jacob, one of the sons, his youngest son is a guy named Joseph. And uh, Joseph is the baby of the family and his, uh, his older brothers kind of probably uh, picked on Malachi. He's he's the younger guy. And we learn in the book of Genesis chapter 37, uh, read that later today. Uh, Genesis chapter 37, that, that Joseph, he has this dream. He has this dream that all of his older brothers are one day going to sort of bow down uh, to him. They're going to bend their knee to him. He's going to be in charge. And the older brothers, they, they probably didn't like that much at all. And uh, so Joseph's the baby. He's at home one day. All of his other brothers are out working. Uh, they're tending to the flocks, tending to the fields. They're out there taking care of the family business. And one day, uh, Jacob, Joseph's dad, uh, Jacob says, Joseph, come on in here. I, I want you to run an errand for me. I want you to take a walk for me. I want you to go on a walk for me. And uh, I want you to go out. I want you to find your brothers. Just kind of head out there. Go inspect what are they doing, where are they working, and then come back and give me a report. So uh, Joseph says, sure, Pops, I'm on my way. And uh, he goes for this walk, and he's wandering around trying to find his brothers that are out there in the fields. And uh, finally, as he's making his way towards them, his brothers see him. And then they start to, uh, uh, the Bible says, uh, they saw him coming, and then they began to plot how they might kill him. Uh, his brothers really had an issue with this whole dream that he had. They didn't like it one bit. And so Joseph, sure enough, he walks up and he goes up to his brothers, just as his dad had asked him to do. And they grab a hold of him, and they take him over, and they throw him into a pit, and then they have this conversation. I think we should kill our brother, uh, take his robe off of him, uh, cover it up with the blood of an animal, uh, send it back to dad and say a wild beast ate him. One of the other brothers steps in and says, no, uh, here, there's a caravan of Egyptians that are coming by. I think that we should sell him into slavery uh, to the Egyptians. And so here's Joseph being sent out by his dad to do something for him. As brothers are up there, here's Joseph in the bottom of this pit. And there's this conversation taking place. Are they going to kill me or are they going to sell me into slavery? Surely it could have been a dizzying effect. Surely Joseph could have been thinking to himself, how did I ever end up here? Well, maybe you remember the story. His brothers sell him into slavery. He ends up in Egypt, and he kind of it becomes a big deal in Egypt. Uh, later on, it says that there was uh, a pharaoh that didn't know who he was anymore, and and uh, the nation of Israel is kind of growing and prospering in Egypt. But now they become slaves, and later God sends Moses to uh, to lead them out of uh, Egypt through the Red Sea, and they wander in the wilderness, and eventually into the Promised Land, where they uh, they become a great nation. But eventually they turned their back on God and God allows the Babylonians to come in and the book of Daniel and a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he scoops up some of the sharpest and the brightest of, of the nation of Israel and hauls them off to Babylon. And uh, one day King Nebuchadnezzar, in, he's a Babylonian, the Babylonian king, he has a dream and he can't figure out what the dream is about. It's disturbing him. And he calls in all of his big deals and, and uh, he says, okay, what's my dream about? They don't know. And then uh, they learn that Daniel... Daniel can interpret this dream. And Daniel's a guy that loves uh, the God of Abraham and, 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 and of Isaac and of Jacob and, and, and the God of Joseph. And Daniel, uh, that's the God that he loves and that he worships and, and bows down to. 
And so Daniel interprets this dream for Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar is very excited that he is able to do that. And he says, Daniel, because you've done this, Daniel chapter 2, we read about this. Because you've done this, um, I am going to put you in charge of a great deal of my kingdom. Uh, you're going to be the guy in charge of many, many things. I'm giving you a great government job. Uh, you're going to have great benefits. You're going to have 401k. You're going to have all this stuff. He says, is there anybody, any of your friends that I have exiled out of Egypt uh, that you would like to uh, kind of be a part of your leadership team? And Daniel says, uh, yes. There's three guys, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'd like them to be a part of my leadership team as well. I says, okay, done. Put them in charge of whatever you want. Well, then we come into Daniel chapter 3. And... Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're in charge of some stuff, and they got a really uh, kind of a high position in, in a foreign land. But they were surrounded by some co-workers, and just flat out says they didn't like them because they were Jews. They weren't Babylonians. And so they sort of put a plan in place to get them all in a lot of trouble. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar ends up building this big idol, this statue, and uh, the law is passed that everybody in the entire uh, area is supposed to uh, bow down and worship this idol. And so they make the sound of the trumpet and the flute and the lair and all these things. And you'll read about that as you read through the story. And they're supposed to uh, drop and bow down and pray to this false image, this thing that Nebuchadnezzar had made. And they don't do it because they know he's not a real God. It's, a, it's an idol. Well, they get arrested for that and they get brought before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says to them, uh, because you did not do what I told you to do, uh, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. That is uh, what the deal is. And uh, as you read through Daniel chapter 3, you learn that King Nebuchadnezzar was so infuriated that he goes to his army and he finds the strongest men in his army to take hold of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to bind them and to tie them up. Meanwhile, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have already communicated to the king, we get it, you're throwing us into this fiery furnace. We believe our God has the ability and the authority to save us. But according to uh, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, they were not sure if God would save them. They said, we believe our God has the ability to save us, but we don't even know if he's going to save us. And surely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were being held down by some of the strongest men in all of the Babylonian army, being tied up and carried in towards this furnace that had been heated up seven times hotter than any ever, ever before, surely they they could have been thinking, how, how in the world did, did we end up here? Well, we know the story. They were thrown into the furnace, but God protected them. What's interesting also is that if you just keep reading through and you make your way down to the book of Daniel, chapter 6, uh, Daniel, the guy that got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego the job, he remained in a position of authority and he could do things in the kingdom. But sure enough, there were some people that were around him that uh, said, uh, Daniel, you're creating a hostile work environment for us. And uh, you're kind of making things difficult for us. Uh, uh, your beliefs are unacceptable for us. We can't tolerate them. And you're being intolerant. And, and so they devise a scheme and put it in place where uh, Daniel's no longer going to be able to worship God. 
but Daniel went home three times a day with uh, the curtains wide open and everybody could look right into his house. He worshiped God. And because of the law of the land, he was arrested and he was thrown into a pit of lions. And as you read through Daniel chapter six, it says they put him in a den of lions and then they had the big boulder or big rock and they roll it in front of the door. And so can you imagine uh, being Daniel surrounded by lions and you're watching as maybe that stone is being rolled across and the, and, and the crack of daylight is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and he's standing in a pitch dark pit surrounded by lions. Surely he could have been thinking to himself, just a little while ago I had this great job. How in the world did I end up here? In the New Testament, in, in the book of Acts chapter 16, uh, you're familiar with Paul and Silas, the apostle Paul and Silas. And, and uh, one day they were traveling about telling people about Jesus Christ. And uh, they come across this woman. And all they want to do is help this lady. All they want to do is give her a hand. But there were some people that had a vested interest in them not helping this lady. All they want to do is help this lady. And uh, uh, these guys that have a vested interest in not helping the lady, they get a hold of the, uh, the, the government officials. The government officials come in and they arrest them. And then according to Acts chapter 16, uh, they arrest them and uh, they flog them. They beat them with whips. They probably tied them over a post or a rock and their backs are exposed and they're beaten with whips. And then they were pulled off of that and they were put in an inner cell and they had their feet put down in stocks and probably a big beam kind of crushed across their ankles and, and locked down so that they couldn't get anywhere. And surely having been beaten for only helping a lady and telling people about Jesus while they were in this inner cell with their, their feet clamped into socks, they, they, they could have been thinking, how, how, in the world did, how in the world did we ever end up here? Well, um, point number one in the sermon. If you got your outline, write, write this down. People that love God can be in hard places. Write that down. People that love God can be in hard places. Maybe you've heard the uh, sort of rhetorical question about how can a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? Uh, well, that mostly has to do with our free will and our ability to choose good things or bad things. And that if God was uh, just sort of clamping down and saying, this is what's going to happen, uh, we wouldn't be free to show others love. We wouldn't be free to show God love. We have freedom. But there is another reason that bad things are allowed to take place, and that's because of this. Write this down, point number two. Hard places prove that Jesus is right. Hard places prove that Jesus is right. People that love God can be in hard places and hard places prove that Jesus is right. In the book of John chapter 16, verse 33, uh, Jesus says, <clears throat> I, I tell you these things that you, I want you to know peace. I want you to have peace and understand what peace is. And then he goes on to say this, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. People that love God can end up in hard places. Uh, Jesus said that. It just proves that Jesus is right when he said, uh, in this world, uh, we will have a trouble. 
I'm not sure what the nature of your trouble might be today. Maybe your trouble is a lot like Joseph's trouble. Joseph's trouble was brought on through his family. His dad asked him to do something. There was sibling rivalry. Maybe you're in the middle of some kind of family dispute right now and you're in a hard place and maybe you're aching for some of your family members and maybe you have family members that are hostile against you and maybe that is the source of your hard place. Maybe your hard place is like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and a little while ago you thought you had a great job and now you're kind of out of that job and, and maybe you, uh, your 401k is kind of tanked and, and maybe uh, you're looking around going, uh, you know, I thought everything was good but maybe you've been mobbed in your workplace and there's a hostile work environment and there are people that are against you and they accuse you of being intolerant or I'm not sure what the source of your hardship might be, but maybe it's like the Apostle Paul. Maybe it's like Silas. Maybe all you want to do is help some little old lady. And maybe you want to tell people about Jesus and there are people that are against you. There's people that are against you and what you're doing. Solomon said this in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 9. Solomon said, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Maybe the hard place that you're experiencing right now is because of something that we are all experiencing in America right now and even around the world right now, but it's something that has been done before. I didn't know any of this. It's all brand new to me. I just kind of did a little Google search and, and I discovered that in uh, 430 years before Jesus lived, there was this thing that was called uh, the Plague of Athens. Uh, scientists today that sort of study that thing think it was something like typhoid uh, fever or maybe it was like Ebola, but it killed thousands of people. And there was a thing called the Black Plague in 1346 to 1343, and it, it traveled from Asia to Europe, and there was a plague that kind of swept through. There was a thing called the Great Plague of London from uh, 1865 to, excuse me, from 1665 to 1666, and, and they say that 100,000 people had it, and 15% of the population died as a result of this. There was a thing called the American Polio Epidemic in 1916 and it started in New York and it made its way across the country and some 27,000 people uh, had it and uh, some 6,000 people died of it and maybe you remember in 2009 and 2010 there was the H1N1 epidemic according to scientists they say that 1.4 billion people had H1N1 and that the estimates are somewhere between 150 to 500,000 people uh, died in that and so why do I tell you that these plagues have come over and over and over again in history why here's why point number three write this down only God can eliminate all suffering and he will people that love God will experiencing will experience suffering Jesus is right. Suffering is a part of this world.
but only God can eliminate suffering, and he will. Do you know that there's no evidence whatsoever that when Joseph was in that pit, he was ever disturbed or upset or complained about being in the pit? You realize there's no evidence at all that while Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in this fiery furnace that they were disturbed or upset about it in any way. And Daniel, when he was in the lion's den, was not upset or disturbed about it in any way. He had a sense of peace and a sense of calm. And do you know that according to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 16, verse 25, that when Paul and Silas were in jail with their feet clamped into stocks, that they were actually at midnight, they were praying and they were singing hymns unto God. Why is that? How is that? They knew, they knew that only God can eliminate pain and suffering and he will not in this earth, but in the next. That's what scripture teaches us. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33. But it goes on to say, take heart. I have overcome this world. John 3, 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only one and as one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the next life. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we're baptized into him. We become a part of the family of God. According to John 14, Jesus says that in my father's house are many rooms and I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to take you to be with me where I am in my father's house. Here's the thing. When my wife and I were in the car and we were traveling to the house that we wanted uh, to go to and into the, uh, the house that we wanted to uh, make our residence and, and I was confused about how to get there, but I was trying to tell my wife, I know how to get there, but this guy doesn't know how to get there. And, and all my faith was in me and not in the guy that I was trying to follow. How are you going to end up in the house that you ultimately want to be. Maybe maybe today you're kind of wandering around going, how in the world did I end up here? We need to make sure that we are following the one that can take us to our eternal home in heaven. Have a great week. Sometimes it feels like I'm watching from the outside Sometimes it feels like I'm breathing But am I alive? I won't keep searching for answers that aren't here to find All I know is I'm not home yet This is not
agency I had this blessed assurance Holding me 